Welcome uh, to those watching online. Welcome to you in the building this morning. Uh, again, just consider it a great privilege to be able to share his word, look at it together with you. As always, our hope is that people would find Christ, find community, uh, and finding Christ, finding his word, that you would listen for his voice, uh, not, not just mine, that you would have hearts open to hear him. How many of you brought your Bibles today? Just hold them up. Yeah. Ah, I know, we're getting, uh, right side, you win, left side, next week, sit, sit on the right side, all right, I know, the front, you guys, you guys are, are good, but talk to your teammates in the back there, why do we want, why do we want uh, people to have this, some are like, you know what, I hate when you do that, and others are like, I love when you do that, so I'm just going with them, uh, the, because we want to get used to opening this. You know, it's so easy to read scripture on your phone and then you get a text and then you're gone. It's, it's, it's something we just say, Lord, I'm just, this, is, this time is just for you. I'm just putting my heart before your word. Would you speak to me this morning? And that, that is our hope that as you read there, I'd encourage you as well to take some notes. We put note uh, cards in every row there. There's also pens in the pocket. I mean it, you'll uh, remember more for one. Uh, and also, it's, you don't have to try and write down every word I say. That, it's impossible. But just uh, write down the thoughts that come to you like, yeah, okay, I need to think about this a little more and just jot those down. So we are in a, um, in a series that we've been, it's, it's, it started out as Teach a Man to Fish. And uh, it's based on this proverb we've seen it a number of times. You give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. You teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. And uh, so we've talked about a number of different topics to help us live out our faith in Christ. And uh, the whole idea of this proverb is simply that uh, we would be passing on something to someone that would affect the rest of their life. That we would pass something on to someone that would affect the rest of their life. My goal isn't just to speak a message, speak a sermon that, you know, you would come and, and eat and leave. It's like, it's bigger than that. What do we do that affects the rest of our life? How can I give something to some ones that would affect the rest of your life? And as I've thought about that, we've been doing that over the past number of weeks. But as I was preparing for this uh, message, just over the yeah, past couple of months, have had such a burden for our kids, such a burden for our children. Uh, my own, but not just my own. The ones of this community, this church, man, we're so blessed to have a church full of kids. It is, it is something. Uh, and my question that I want to address and look at today is, are we equipping our kids for what lies ahead? Are we equipping them for, the, for, for living in a changing world? And I don't know about you, but man, we are living in a changing world. You notice that? You know, it's like things aren't quite like they used to be. Things are just, it's just different. There's different things we're encountering that we just have never seen before. You know, as Canadians, we lived in a, in a, uh, really a, a Christian nation, so to speak. Most of our laws, most of our um, uh, experience for, for everybody in this room would have been, yeah, it, it, going to church was like, was, was normal, was, was acceptable. Belief in God, normal, acceptable. Lord's Prayer in schools, it was a part of our fabric of our culture, not anymore. Not, not anymore. And that's changing. And it's like, oh, there's this, this, this hesitancy or, or resistance to change. But I wonder, maybe it was always like that. You know, maybe I have these, like, these thoughts of, oh, you know, are they ready for what's coming? But maybe my parents thought that and your parents and grandparents. And you thought, thought back into the days, maybe every generation has felt like that. You can picture, you know, you know, old Claude saying, Mabel, what's our kids going to do with all these newfangled horseless carriages around? Here we are today, not a horse in the parking lot. We survived thrived, I would say, 
Or when television came out, you know, it was like, the pastor's like, those are going to warp the minds of our children. Well, they might have been right. But also, we survived. And then computers came out, and it's like, oh no, those things are going to take all our jobs. You know, it's only going to be computer programmers. Or, but then we found out, you still need to eat. Farmers still around, you know. There's all, there's all kinds of things, but there was this, this fear of, oh, this next thing is going to change everything. You know, maybe we have those fears, those concerns, but I think about our, our world right now, and I think that, you know, it's, you know cars and, and computers are one thing, but culture is a, is a very different thing. You know, as culture changes, it affects, it affects everybody who lives in that culture. And uh, I think about that. You know, I think about our culture right now where we once were okay with the fact that there was a God. Culture was okay with that. We've actually are moved into a place where we're post-Christian now as a nation. Where there's not, it's not even just that, you know, belief in God is like, oh, it's acceptable. Now it's contemptible. Because what God says, you know, we're writing laws right now that are, are making Scripture, literally writing out that these things in Scripture are myths. Bill C4, you can look it up. It, it just talks about, you know, what Adam and Eve and man and woman, it's just a myth. Changing all these things that, you know, if you, if you believe in a God who has uh, these views, these statements, well, that's not okay anymore. That is the world we live in right now. And we, we see it all over. You know, we see uh, in Disney, you know, Disney's got full-blown woke ideology just being, you know, cleverly, cleverly uh, disguised in cartoon format. But then the new shows coming out, they're educating our culture of kids. You know, Netflix, we see shows normalizing the sexualization of children. And you look at some of these shows and one of the first ones that came out, it was like there was outrage. And that outrage has subsided, but the shows remain. Because something is happening in our culture for educating our kids. We think about screen addiction. You know, here it is. How many kids? Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Some of you big kids. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. It's not just the kids. You know, you see these parents, see these kids are always on their phones like, would you just go play outside? And then they do. <laughs> I know you've seen it. I mean, we, 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 we have this thing. It's just like, oh, it's so, so... It's like, it's like an addiction. Something goes off. It's like, oh. But I think what we may not always realize is that this addiction opens the door for so many others. I think we need to be aware of that. We had a guy share his testimony last week. It just as a, as a young boy, age 10, just where his addiction to pornography began. Man, it's these things that begin to open the doors and and that is, that is kind of the, 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 the age and stage of life that we're growing up in and raising children in. You know, school, <laughs> school used to be, you know, you learn your reading, your writing, your arithmetic. Now you got all kinds of choices you never had before. Like choose your pronouns. And you're like, oh, that's just in the big cities. No, it's coming here. You get to choose your pronouns, giving kids this, like, uh, do I get the blue cup or the red cup? That was tricky before. And now it's like, what, 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 they can call me anything. You know, choosing your sexuality. You can decide whatever you want to be. You can choose your, your body even now to say, I don't like the body I was born and maybe have the choice to change it. Those choices are being given to our children uh, and this generation right now. You know, we look, at, we look at the continuous drift and shift away from parental consent. We saw that, you know, and it was like, oh, you know, age 12, you can get a vaccine. You don't need your parents' consent. But in school, you say, oh, I want to I wanna be known by these pronouns in school. Their teachers are not allowed to tell the parents. There's these things of this drift and this shift of we want to separate from parents. And we're not saying this is the, the teachers. We're not saying that that's everyone. You're like, I'm a teacher and I feel really guilty. We, we know it's not that. And we'll get to that in a second. 
You know, I was talking with one of the teachers here, and he's like, you know, it's, he says, I don't see a lot of that, but I see something just as, just as devastating, and it is this, this um, education um, for lowest common denominator learning. It's like everybody gets a pass now. You don't have to do anything. You can just get 40%. And hopefully if we give you 40%, it's going to like, oh, I just want to get 50. That's not how it goes. It's like 40% for free. Sweet. If I do nothing, they'll give me a 50. And he says, we're seeing this. And he says, like, that's not what I signed up to teach. We're de-incentivizing effort and achievement. We're fostering laziness and dependence where responsibility is always someone else's responsibility. I don't know if you see that. You know, we have this thoughts, whatever you feel is right for you. It doesn't matter if there's a right or a wrong. Whatever feels right is, is right for you. And if there's any disagreement with those feelings, it's considered to be hate, well, that's a strong word for disagreement. We're going to talk about this somewhere down the road about the war of, on words. Like, that's not hate. And it's not hateful to be in disagreement with somebody. But that's what's being taught to our kids. That's what's being adjusted in our culture. And that victimhood, victimhood is the pathway to victory. If you can find some way of being a victim, you'll come out on top in the end. And that's the culture we live in. Would you not agree that, I mean, these are just a few things, but there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on, but let me say this. There's also a lot going on in uh, behind the scenes. There is a lot going on behind the scenes. What do we mean by that? Uh, as believers, we better not forget that we are in a spiritual battle. This is not one of those things of like, oh, it's those teachers. Oh, it's those, it's the, that other, you know, per, political party. It's none of that. There is an, uh, an enemy out for our children, out for the children of this generation. There's a spiritual, spiritual battle going on for their minds and for their hearts. Last week, we talked about how there was adults that Jesus was dealing with. He said, your, your lips, they, they say the right things, but your heart is far from me. Man, our enemy out there wants the same thing with our kids, that their hearts would be far from him. And some of you think about enemy. What are you talking about, enemy? And, you know, few, as, we, as we carry on, there's fewer and fewer people who believe in God, in the existence of God. But there's actually less and less people who believe in the existence of a devil. They're like, oh, that's just a, that's just a costume. Sam Smith wears the Grammys, right? It's just entertainment. Ah, I know, that unholiness. You know, the, there's this, this thought, well, there's not really one. What a clever deception, if I can deceive you to think that I don't exist, I can just mess with you any way I want. You'll have no idea. You'll think it's a teacher. You'll think it's a, it's a, a, a premier. You'll think, it's, you'll think it's somebody else. But it's always him. So why? Why is the enemy after children? And I believe it's this. If he can create deception and confusion, misdirection and delusion at an early age, he gets them for life. Right, If he can cause them to take some steps down a pathway, well, that is what our life is. It's a pathway of steps in a direction. What's he doing? He's teaching them how to fish. He's teaching them how to fish. Why? Because he knows it works. He just perverts every God-given thing. And that's where we are. Man, we, have we considered that we want to teach the next generation to fish? So what should we do? Turn to Hebrews 11. If you have your Bibles... Turn to Hebrews 11. As you're going there, I was just thinking that, that uh, as, a, 
as a men's group, we've been going through Hebrews 11 and uh, I don't know if it was Reuben or if it was Brian who chose this study, but it's been great just talking about these kingdom heroes, the men and women of scripture who are of this particular scripture, the, you know, the great hall of fame of faithers and uh, what, they, what they were known for and what they accomplished. And so before we read, have you, have you thought about that for your own life? Have you considered what do I want to be known for? Like, what am I living my life to accomplish? Have you thought of that? Maybe just take a moment to think about that right now. What, what, am, I, what am I hoping to accomplish? At the end of my life, what would I like to be known for? And you can become famous pretty quickly these days. Uh, all you need to do is set a Guinness World Record and you end up in the Guinness Book of World Records. And we know you can do anything um, because there's all kinds of stuff. You know, people are, are trying to continually set and reset the, the record for the largest elephant toothpaste explosion. Uh, If you've never seen this, Google it. It is pretty incredible. But people are always beating this record. And then there's people like Finn Keller who uh, wanted to beat the record of having the most live snails on his face at one time. 43. If you'd like to beat that... Now you know. You could become famous. It could be what you're known for. You know, Ashrita Furman, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but he crushed 80 eggs in a minute with his head. You could do that as well. It's expensive these days, but you could do it. But what do you want to be known for? You know, there's Linda Lou Taylor of Indiana. She's been married 23 times. Some of you are like, no, nah, I don't want that record. <laughs> you know, but I'm like, what's she known for? It's interesting. Her last marriage was to a guy who was married 29 times. He died shortly after. That record is stands. Um, but you're like, what did, what did she want to be known for? Like, you'd think that husband 17, 18 would be like, mm, I don't know. Like, I think she's got commitment issues. Like, that, that, that may be the record. Or maybe she's like, I'm the eternal optimist, right? That is what I want to be known for. Doesn't matter how many times I fail, I'm going to try one more, one more time. But she's known for this. And you think about that, you're like, man, what, what, what do I want to be known for? And maybe ears aren't like, like that. Maybe like, I just want to, I want to have a great business. I want to build a business, a family business. I can leave something to my kids. I want to be known for leaving an inheritance to them. Or I, I want to be known for, for, for my work ethic or for maybe, you know, that I traveled the world. I had a fully stamped passport. I want, I want some of those things. Because I've been reading the story of William Carey with my kids. William Carey's the father of modern missions, the one who just, as he sat with a whole bunch of other pastors, and they were like, all they cared about was their church. He's like, what about the world? And they're like, quiet, William, quiet. And he's like, I won't be quiet. What about the world? They need the gospel, and if anybody's going to go, it should be us. This was a couple hundred years ago. They didn't have all the things that we have today to do that. It was much more difficult, but I'm grateful that he did it, and it's what he's known for today. What do you want to be known for? What do you want to be known for? Let's read Hebrews 11. You know, today, uh, sometimes we read lots and lots of scripture. Today, we're just going to look at one verse. And I, I'm not lying. We're going to add some, you know, supporting verses, but just really in one verse. Hebrews 11, 7 says this. You there? It was by faith. Or uh, in the, we'll read the New King James. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. One verse, heard it a number of weeks ago in our men's group, and it just, it just stuck with me, especially that line that he prepared an ark for the saving of his household. The story of Noah is not just a Bible story and a song, right? The Lord told Noah to build him an arky, arky, Lord. No? If you don't know that, join VBS. You'll sing it every year. But it's more than that. 
You know, Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10 that the, the accounts of the Old Testament, those scriptures were written for our warning and for our encouragement. And as we read this, we do well to look and say, what is the warning and what is the encouragement for us in there? How can I prepare an ark for the saving of my household? What does that look like for me today? I've been praying about that for the last little while. And so today I just want to slow down, take a good look at this verse. It's warning and it's encouragement. So let's, let's just break it down slowly. Hebrews eleven seven. it says this, by faith, Noah. By faith, by that trust, that confident trust in God. This is how Noah, he says, this is how he's described. This is how he lived, by faith. What does, that, what does it mean? You, you go back to Genesis 6 and you can read the account of Noah's life and you'll find things like this. In, Noah, in uh, Genesis 6, 8, it says that Noah found favor with the Lord. When others didn't, he found favor with the Lord. And the very next verse, I believe, gives us the reason why. It says this in Genesis 6, verse 9, that he walked in close fellowship with the Lord. I believe he found favor because he just decided, I'm going to walk in close fellowship with the Lord. I want to know him. I want to know him when, you know, nobody else around may know him. I want to know him. Genesis 6, that chapter ends with these words that Noah did exactly as God had commanded him. Not only did he want to know the Lord, not only did he walk faithfully with him, he said, I'll, I'll do what you're commanding me to do. And he lived out an example of following the Lord wholeheartedly. And I would say that this morning, if we want our children to follow the Lord wholeheartedly, it starts with us. It starts with us. Am I all in? Are we all in? Some of you are like, I don't have children. (laughs) It doesn't matter if you've got kids or not. Do you have somebody younger than you that you have influence in their lives? This applies to all of us when it comes to this idea of a, of a church. And the the question it starts with, well, well, if I, if I want them all in, how am I, where's, where's, how's my pursuit of Christ today? Maybe you could ask yourself that. How's my pursuit of Jesus today? Really? Some of you are like, well, that's why I'm here. And I'm like, good. I think it's great to be here because I want to know him. Lord, I want to be in a place where my mind is set on knowing you and that I would be all in. Jesus said, I'm going to obey you. Whatever you say, I'm saying yes. Like we talk about things like baptism. Yeah, (laughs) God, I'm all in. Because I want the next generation. I don't want them hindered by anything. And here we see Hebrews 11, verse 7. It says this, by faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen. And that warned wasn't like a warning, warning, warning type of thing. It's, 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 a, it's a different term. It's translated that way, but it, it is also has the understanding of it. It's, an, it's being advised and he, he's being commanded. He's being admonished and instructed. How does that happen in our lives? How do we hear the word of the Lord admonishing us and instructing us? It's right here. Is we like, I don't, I'm not just all in in statement, but God, I'm all in. I want, I want to know your word and I'm going to obey it because I'm all in. It doesn't matter what other people around me say and do. I, I, want, I want this. It can also come through prayer where you're just like, God, I just put my heart and life before you. What do you want from me? And you hear his voice. It can also come through the voice of other people. And I hope that's what's happening right now is that as you hear me speak, you hear him speak. And you're like, oh, that's me. Oh, I need to think about that. Oh, that, that's, that's him. By faith, Noah was divinely warned, instructed, commanded. He was warned of things that were not yet seen. Think about that, not yet seen. But they would be seen, eh? They were not yet seen, but he was able to see what was coming. He's like, I know (laughs) the Lord's told me there's a flood coming. I know what's coming ahead. Nobody else seems to know it, but I do. 
But we all know the story that there was a time where everyone knew what Noah knew. Everyone saw what Noah saw, but for them it was too late. And I pray, God, give us eyes to see what's coming ahead so that we're not the ones who see it and it's like too late. I've been challenged lately not to be too short-sighted. As I get older, my eyesight is going. My laser surgery is no longer as good as it once was. I can no longer read your minds, and I uh, also can't see as far. I see people in the back, but some of your faces can't see your expression, whether you're loving this or hating this, can't, can't see it. You in the front, still can, just saying. But what I'm realizing is that the older I get and the short-sighted I get physically, the, the more or the less short-sighted I'm becoming when it comes to spiritual things and to things in our world. It's like, Lord, I, I want to see, I, I want to see ahead. You know, and I feel like much of what's happening in our culture is because people who are making decisions haven't looked far enough ahead or far enough back. They, they, they don't realize that the decisions that they're making have been made before, that history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. It's similar. There's things that resemble seasons in the past. And that as we look ahead, some of the decisions being made, they haven't thought too far in advance of how this is going to affect the world, the culture, they're made with no thought for the future, but they'll still affect the future. Even if we're not thinking ahead, it's still going to affect what's coming up. And what is that? Think about that. We've got regulators making you know, decisions in our, in our world about, uh, about, about all kinds of things. We're going to change pronouns and whatever else. We'll change the language, not realizing that down the road, we're going to have no way to communicate. If we change the meaning of all of these words, we're gonna, it is going to be a nightmare if we say that children, you, it's your right to, to remove body parts, what are we going to end up with 10 years from now? We are going to have epic problems in a decade from now when people are like, well, I was a kid. I, I, how could you? I wasn't thinking of that. How can we say to a generation that the hookup culture is all you need? You know, separate your body and your emotions because, you know, you can, that's fine. And that someday, 10 years from now, we're like, when these people get married, we're, they're like, we can't seem to connect with our spouse. <laughs> we better be thinking ahead. The enemy's lie is always, oh, it's great in the moment. But what's ahead? What's ahead? What's he warning us about? Hebrews 11 Verse 7, it says this, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, he moved with godly fear. And that moved with godly fear, that word fear is not terror. It wasn't, it wasn't terror or phobia. He didn't, he didn't have anxiety because he didn't need to. It didn't matter what was coming ahead. He had the Lord's direction in his life. He's like, it doesn't matter what's coming. That flood can be whatever it is. I got the boat. I got the boat. It was just walking cautiously, circumspectly, aware in awe of God. And here's the thing. He obeyed God when no one else would. There's a man who's like, man, wholehearted. Lord, I'm going to obey you no matter what. It might seem like the craziest thing to everyone else around him. And it did. Like, Noah, you're going to build what? What are you thinking, man? Like, we, we don't have rain like that. And he's like, man, <laughs> I know what I know. I can see what you can't see. And I'm going to do, I'm going to obey, even though you can't see it, even though you might think it's crazy. And you may have that in your family. Might even be your kids, you know? Kids are like, Dad, everyone has a cell phone. And I'm seven and I want one. No, no, I, I don't care if everyone in your class thinks it's the craziest thing or thinks dad is the worst dad ever. I see something. I see something you don't see. And I want to walk with you to that place so that at that place, you're not caught unaware. 
You're not caught unaware. You know, Noah's family was affected because of his obedience. It wasn't just Noah. His whole family was affected by his obedience. And think about this. Noah's buddies, who he, or his kids' buddies, you know, they played with every day. Their lives were also affected by their parents' disobedience. Man, there's a lot on the line. There's a lot. Oh, man, it just got real quiet. Why do we stand for truth? Why do we obey the Lord? Because there is a lot on the line. Carries on. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear. He prepared an ark for the saving of his household. He got ready ahead of time on purpose. He's like, I can see what's coming. I'm going to do something now for then. That, that, that salvation is the preservation, the deliverance, the future salvation of his family. He's like, I'm going to do something for their sakes. And that's where I believe we need to be as parents, as adults. And we're like, we need to think now about, are we preparing our kids to live in the generation that they're, they're, they're living in. And so, you know, I'd like to say calling on the parents, calling on the dads to, to begin to like protect your home. You know, we think about this in like terms, if somebody came up to our house and tried to, you know, hurt our children, came with a weapon, we'd be like right at the door. We like, we'll meet might with might. I'll protect my home. I'll protect my kids. And, you know, Beth would probably be there before me. Like, women are like the, they're, they're even better at this, right? They're like the mama bear. You know, you come at me with a gun, I got fingernails. I'll rip your eyes out, you know? Come, you touch my kids, right? There's this protection mode and mentality. If we saw something coming that would endanger our kids, we would be all over it. But I want to encourage you with this. The enemy that we're up against right now, we don't see. He comes into our homes through these He comes into the home through unlimited access to the internet, to just not knowing who your kids are playing with, talking to, what's happening in that realm. I see it all the time. Parents, we just be like, yeah, but my kids are going to revolt. I'm like, there's a way to do it. There's a way to do it that they know, man, this is because I love you. This is because I care about you. I can see what maybe you can't see yet, but let me help you see that we would stand for them, that we would become aware of what's being taught in our schools. Your kids, you're sending them off to school. Are you aware of what they're being taught there? Of course, you're like, yeah, I see their grades. Good, be aware of that. But also be aware of what else they're learning in school, not just from the teachers, but from their classmates. And how? Just having conversations with them, realizing there's an ideology and a worldview, the way people see the world. When people see the world without God, they act in a way that is without God. And how do we say with our kids, kids, I want you to see the world through the lens of scripture. I want you to see the world through the lens that there is a God who loves you dearly. And it's why, it's why we're educating. You know, our, I don't know if you know this, but, but um, our kids' education is our responsibility. Your kids' education is your responsibility. I think about Noah. Noah didn't just build an ark for his kids. He built it with them. He built it with them. What is that? That's discipleship. That's teaching you know, kids to fish as they're working with, working with dad, you know, asking questions. Dad, why are we doing this? <laughs> We're preparing for what lies ahead. Dad, you know, why, why can't we have unlimited screen time? Because I'm preparing you for what's coming ahead. Dad, why do we go to church? Dad, why do you make me take notes? Dad, why are you, why are you doing all these things? We're preparing you for what lies ahead. Dad, why do you care who I hang out with? Because I'm preparing you for what lies ahead. You know, a prudent, Solomon said, a prudent, prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. Proverbs 27, the fool just sees it coming and says, ah, well, we'll see how this goes. It doesn't often go well. 
You know, it's our responsibility. The education of our children, it's our responsibility. Think about this in Deuteronomy. Uh, these words are said, Deuteronomy 11, I believe it says in verse 8, it says, So commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Is what no, uh, Moses is saying to the, to the parents in Israel. Commit yourselves wholeheartedly. That's where it starts. Have I committed myself wholeheartedly to his, to his word, to thinking Christianly, to seeing the world with a Christian worldview? He says, so you commit yourselves, tie them to your hands, wear them on your forehead as a reminder. I like the new, you know, Kingsway caps back there. We got, we got some Christ and community on their foreheads. So they look in the mirror, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. That's sweet. Thank you, Becky, for that. Teach them to your children. He says, teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up, write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So that as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children may flourish in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors. What is he saying? Parents, you teach your kids. Be in it wholeheartedly and then teach them. Disciple them in that same thing. In the New Testament, Ephesians 6, Paul says to the Ephesians, fathers don't, and his parents as well, but don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them, but rather bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. He's like, realize that it's your job to discipline them and instruct them in the ways of the Lord, in how to think Christianly and how to live in that way in this world. And so leave you these three thoughts. It's your responsibility to educate your children. It's my responsibility to educate my children at all times and in all ways. You know, in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord, having a biblical worldview, not just telling our kids, this is what you need to think. Noah built an ark, remember that. It's like, no, why did he do it? Not just teaching them what to think, but how to think. That we would read our, the word with our children and to our children. That we would pray with our kids and for our kids. You might find some amazing things happen. My boys this week, you know, the, say I even learned things from them. They went to a little boys group and they, they were uh, there and they had been taught about, you know, kneeling uh, as a posture of prayer. And so normally we always pray together at night with our kids. And as we were praying uh, that, that night, the next night I was sitting with the boys and we're like, we're going to pray. And all of a sudden they jump right out of bed and they get down on their knees. I was like, what, what, what are you doing? Like, this is how you pray, dad. And I was like, thank you. Get down on my knees with my kids and. And pray. Why? We're, 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 we're doing discipleship. We're, we're growing together. So you can, you know, because it's, it's our responsibility to educate. Here's a second thought. You can delegate that responsibility to others. That's allowed. You can delegate it. That's allowed. And, you know, Paul delegated to Timothy and said, hey, delegate this teaching to other men who will delegate to other men. In, in, in Timothy and Titus, we read about how Paul said to, to, to Timothy and Titus, find some older men who are going to teach the younger. Not, not just parents, but older men. Teach the younger. Young, older women, teach the younger. Partner with those parents. And we know in, this, in these words, it takes a village to raise a child. And that's what we want to do here. That we would partner with one another as we see these kids running around here. That we're like, you know what? <laughs> we want to do whatever we can to help them to partner with parents to raise kids that are going to know Christ and know community. And maybe for you, he's like, yeah, I'm sending my kids off to Christian education. That's how you're delegating education. And it's, and it's great. Or maybe you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm delegating it to the kids ministry workers downstairs. That's great. Uh, you can delegate, but you can't abdicate. You can't abdicate it in the sense of we think, oh, they're going to take care of it. They, they've got the responsibility of teaching my kids in these ways. You know, I want us as parents to think we can't to, to stop thinking that we can just drop our kids off in kids church and that's enough. We actually want parents to begin partnering with us. 
that we actually want to partner with you. You're doing it full time. We get to help you in an hour, an hour of the week where parents are just going to sit in with our kids in the classes and be like, you know, what? I might, I might give up the service upstairs, but I, I want to know what's happening in my kids' lives. And Esther will be chatting more about that in the, in the next little while, but we want to partner with our parents in that. And I think also, don't think that you can just send off your kids off to school and that, oh, they're, they're going to be taught what they need to know. You know, it may have been okay back in the day, but today, in today's culture, it's not okay anymore. And too often, parents are too short-sighted. They send their kids off to school, and Christian parents do the same thing, send their kids off to school, and then all of a sudden, you know, they get hit, get hit university, and they have no idea how to defend their faith. They end up there. It's, it's, it is like cataclysmic how many Christian kids go to university and are no longer followers of Jesus by the time they graduate. Why is that happening? Are we preparing them properly for what comes ahead? Vadi Bakum says it this way. We can't continue to send our children to Caesar for education and be surprised when they come home as Romans. We can't keep sending them into the culture schools and expecting them to come home Christian. It's not, it's not going to happen. And so uh, what's going to happen is the opposite. They're going to be educated in every worldview of our world around us. And that is on us. That is our responsibility. So some of you are like the question right now going through your mind. Are you saying every parent needs to homeschool? Yes. Yes, I, I do. I am saying that. That we got to find ways to get our kids out of those school systems. But not homeschool in the way you think. Some of you are like, oh great, bull cuts and denim. I just can't. It's changed. It, it has evolved. But I, I don't mean it in that way. What I mean is that this understanding of, yes, I need to homeschool wherever my kids are being educated. What does that look like? Uh, You know, it's having conversations with your kids after school about what they learned in school. I was called this one guy from our church the one day. It was about 3.30, and I was like, hey, uh, he had asked me to call him. So I called him. I was like, hey, you got time to chat? He's like, ah, can you give me a bit of time? I'm actually deconstructing the nonsense that my daughter learned today in school. (laughs) And I'm like, yes, that is a good dad. He's like, let's sit down. Let's talk about what you're learning there. And let's ask, how does that apply with what Scripture teaches us? Do you think that's what Jesus wants us to do? you think that? And, and, and walking it through, allowing them to, to, um, to come up with those understandings as well. You know, part of it, I think we need to start some schools. Uh, there's, a, there's people, there's a group wanting to start a Christian high school in our area. We need that. And if that's something you're like, oh, yeah, I think like that's something I think uh, goes with in my heart, man, talk to us. I also think we need to start some partnering schools of, you know, teaching maybe classical education where parents and, and teachers are a part of it together, where it's not you're just a homeschool family on your own, but you're like, I want to homeschool, but I can't do it on my own. That there would be a way that so you didn't have to do it on your own. That we would have this thought of, of saying we want to raise kids who, who pursue beauty and goodness and truth and not just a diploma. That they pursue what the good life is and not just what worldly success looks like. That they might live their lives with the callings and talents that he put in their lives and they flourish in those Man, it's burning in my heart to see that. That we would have these Christ-centered in everything. We've got a great school down the road. You know, saying doing that in, in, in one way. That there might be other ways we're saying that we would have kids that simply have their hearts captured by him and for him. That they would be described in the words of Paul to the Philippians in this way. Think of our kids. Could we describe them this way? That they might become blameless and harmless. Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Among whom they shine as lights in this world. Because they hold fast the word of life.
Oh, man. Oh, man. Why do I think it's so important? We'll finish with this. Because it's more than just about saving our households. It is more than just, oh, I want to do something to protect my kids from the world. That's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to equip them to shine in a world that is desperately looking for light. As things get dark, they're like, man, this, the stuff, the answers that I have, they're, they're, they don't measure up anymore. What, what, where else can I find something? Right here. <laughs> right here. What does it say? Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. That judge the world, condemn the world. That's not like, you know, pointing the finger and saying, oh, it's this. But it simply means this, that they judged worthy of punishment. But here's how. By one's good example to render another's wickedness the more evident and censurable. Simply saying, by my obedience. That's all Noah did. I'm just going to be obedient to God. He wasn't pointing his finger at everybody else and saying, you're all going you're all going to drown. And the church has been known for that for too much. Where it's just pointing fingers at, oh, you're part of that group, or you're part of this, you know, you're a sinner, you know, you're whatever. This, this pointing out, it's not what his heart is. His mission, we forget the mission then. The mission is to reach that world. The mission is to reach those people with the gospel, with the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that when their answers no longer satisfy, they look to the answer. When they realize, oh, there's no truth, but I, I somehow long for truth, that they begin for looking for something real, something true, someone real, someone true. Peter tells us that in 2 Peter 2 verse 5, he actually talks about how Noah was warning all those around him of, of, of the Lord's judgment. He was saying, listen, here's the warning. It's coming. It's coming. Help me build the boat. It's coming. They just chose not to. As we, our last verses today, Matthew 24, just turn back to Matthew 24. We're going to close with this. If you've been reading through the New Testament with me, uh, this year, you just would have read that this past week. Matthew 24, verse 37, Jesus actually talks about God's righteous judgment in this way as well. He says this, when the Son of Man, verse 37, when the Son of Man returns, and he will, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time that Noah entered his boat. And people didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes back. There will be a day when he returns. It's going to happen. Some may mock it. Some may not believe it. Some may risk it and be like, eh, I'll, I'll take my chances, but it will happen. Why? Because everything that he says is going to happen, happens. He's like, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise from the dead in three days. Happened. He says, this temple you think is so great, it's going to be obliterated. Every stone's going to be taken from one from another. 80, 70, it happened. What he says is going to happen, it's going to happen. So are we living ready for that? That's the question today. Are you living ready for that? He says, it's just going to be like in Noah's day. They all were like, oh, we're just living our lives, living our lives, not realizing what was coming. And maybe today, Maybe today that's a wake-up call for you. This message is a wake-up call, this realization that I'm being a bit short-sighted, that I'm only looking at kind of what's happening in the near future, and I'm not really looking down the road. Maybe for you it's a realization that you've been lulled to sleep by apathy. You're like, oh, yeah, I just kind of, eh, nothing's happened lately, so I'm like, eh, it's, and I'm just going to kind of live my life. I've got one foot in the church, one foot in the world. It seems to be working for me, all right. It's like you just lulled into that place. Or maybe it's a realization that, you know, you're not actually trusting Jesus as your Savior. You're like, yeah, I believe there's a Jesus, but I, I, I'm not living like Noah. 
I'm not wholeheartedly into his word. I'm not wholeheartedly praying with my kids. I'm not wholeheartedly doing whatever he asked me to do. But you can. You can. And it simply requires what Noah had. Faith. That I would just trust him. That I would trust that what he says is right. Hebrews eleven six, 6, our last verse. It's right before the one that we just spent all this time on. It says this, it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him. He says, if you want to come, you just must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. That today might be that stirring again. Oh, yeah, you know what? I, man, I got to pursue him. I, I pursued other things. I got distracted again. I, but I don't want to be there. Jesus, oh, I want you. I want you. You are the one who satisfies. You are the one who saves. And my heart and prayer for those who don't know him today is that you call out to him. Simply saying, Jesus, oh, man, save me like you saved Noah. That you put your full trust in him. That you'd see his goodness. That you'd live a life of obedience to him because of his goodness. And then finally, maybe today's a day that as parents, as adults, we've realized maybe that we've abdicated a God-given responsibility. We've just kind of assumed that someone else is going to do that when it comes to raising this next generation. And I just leave you with this thought. What do you want to be known for? What do you want to be known for? You know, I don't agree with everything Andy Stanley says, but he said this, your greatest contribution to the world may not be something that you do, but someone that you raise. Maybe your greatest contribution to the world may not be something that you do, but it may be someone that you raise. Man, I pray that our greatest contribution to the world is all those little kids downstairs right now, all those kids at youth on Wednesday nights. So we are raising a generation of kids who will stand for truth, who will stand for the gospel, who will live like shining lights in a dark world. But it's going to take our intentional involvement to do something for the saving of our households. Let's pray. Lord, there's a lot to think about this morning. A lot grateful for the example of Noah in this way, grateful for your word that we have in a language we can understand, grateful for your spirit that puts all the pieces together in our specific life situations. Just grateful for all of it. Jesus, I'm grateful that you saved me and that what we had gotten wrong, you, you make it right. You fix it. Lord, that you call us to walk in step with you. Father, I pray for those who may be feeling condemnation this morning over what's past Lord, may they just simply be reminded that your mercy is new today, that they start fresh with you. They don't have to make up for everything past, but they can just simply start over with you. Father, we lift up this generation of young people. We pray for our kids this morning. We know that uh, they're in your hands, but they're in ours as well. Lord, would you give us courage to be obedient to you, to stand for truth when no one else will, to give us a voice into the lives of those who will stand to change the world in their generation. God, may you bring them to our hearts and to our minds often. As we lift them up in prayer, may we be an encouragement and a joy to them uh, in, in, in our interactions with them. God, would you bless these parents today with your wisdom, with your truth. Father, I pray for your anointing even to be on them as parents and on us as parents. Lord, may our, may our kids have the opportunity not to just be raised by mothers and fathers, but an awareness of a heavenly father. Lord, our world's dark. By your grace, you haven't returned yet in judgment, but we know it's coming. Lord, would you help us to see that as primary, that we would reach out to those around us and continue to see people in need of you. May they know us by our love for each other and for them. May they find the hope that we found in you. Above all, Jesus, may you be glorified and praised. (laughs) Praise for you deserve it. 
Lord, would you lead us and guide us in what you desire for us to do? And may we be courageous to obey without hesitation. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you this morning for the chance to share some of the stuff on our hearts. I know a lot, lot going on, but as you go downstairs today to pick up your kids, would you do a couple things? Would you just genuinely thank those, those uh, teachers and helpers who've been there? Just, just like maraud them with uh, thanks. Um, maybe even if you don't have kids, just go give them a high five, you know, for your future children or something. And second, if there's some of the things we talked about today that burn in your heart as well, you hear about those schools and you're like, yes, I, I'm in on that. Or maybe there's other thoughts that you have. And you're like, hey, this is kind of where I, where I see. Would you, would you let me know? And then third, if you see Esther down there and you're a parent, would you just like preemptively just tell her, hey, I want in. Like, I just, I want to, I want to help out. I want to be a part of it. We're not going to make you teach. We're not going to make, actually, we're not even going to have really any re- difficult requirement, but just that you would be in the room with our, with our families downstairs, with our kids downstairs. Would you do some of those three things? That'd be great. Some of you are like, can we go now? Yes, you may. You're dismissed. <laughs>